It's going to be hard to preach today. I ain't going to lie. They, they, didn't, they didn't play my jam. Man. Boo-hooing. Thank you for leading us into worship. Thank you for turning our hearts towards the God who is faithful for all time. And what should really boil your heart is the fact that even in our unfaithfulness, he's faithful. So for those who say, Pierre, I had an unfaithful week. You don't know what I've been through. You don't even know what I've done. My God remains faithful. And for me, I needed to hear it. I just needed to hear God say, I'm still here. So no matter what you've been through, no matter what you're going through, my God says he's still here. And it's a hard turn for me, to be honest with you, because like this sermon is more about practicality. It is. It's just about something that can hopefully change your hearts and minds towards God. And it's not a highly emotional sermon. If, if I'm totally honest with you, this sermon is more practical. So we're going to dig deep. We're going to dig into every word. My prayer is that somehow you will apply it well to your life to change your entire mindset from this point forward. So without further ado, let me release the youth to Jordan, um, who's right there behind you waving. So all the youth are dismissed. Ages are grades 7 to 12th grades. Grades 7 to 12th grade. Mm. Let us pray, because I don't want to waste much time with my preface. The only thing I will say is something simple. Last week, I talked about you defending who God was and using the right argumentation to do so. This week, I'm going to flip the script on you, and I'm going to see if you don't mind me allowing you to be the false prophets. And you're like, Pierre, I don't want to do that because I'm not a false prophet. I get it. But what I am saying is if I flip the argumentation over, meaning if you are now the people who are accusing Paul, then you'll realize that maybe I do the same thing. And we're all guilty of it, so my prayer is that you will be open-hearted despite the fact that I'm now turning the story on its backside. So don't be opposed to it because I'm not calling you a false prophet. I'm not calling you a Gnostic. What I am going to say is sometimes we are guilty of the same symptom. So let us pray together. Dearly Father, we are grateful. We are thankful. We are privileged. There we go. That you are faithful in our unfaithfulness, and in your faithfulness, you still talk to us. So, God, what I pray for is that Pierre doesn't talk. You talk. What I pray for, my heart is so pure, so clean, that everything that filtrates through it is just the purification of your word. That all people can hear is how beautiful your word is, that every word in your text matters. I just pray that I can highlight the beauty and the depth of your text so that everyone, when they leave, is edified. I know that sometimes we have to tear down some walls in order to build them back up the right way. So, God, if that's necessary, please let our hearts be supple and soft before you. Let us be ready to hear from you that it's not something that people are trying to do to me. It's just, God, I want to be aimed towards you. God, I need you. It's been one of those weeks I can understand for me as well. For those who are coming here a tad bit distracted, I understand. But at the same time, I pray that you will center our hearts on you. God, you are good. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I want to say this. For those who are non-parents, you will not get the start of this sermon unless you have a little bad cousin. 
And everybody got that cousin that you don't want to watch, but it's always the bad cousin that always need babysitting. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. So if you got that cousin, you know exactly what I'm fixing to say. So even if you ain't no parent, you feel me. What's the most painful experience as a parent outside of having the baby itself? Okay, I'm going to lay it out for you. I'll give you context clues. You're walking along. The child is playing with something. They run away like they always do. You unconsciously begin your walk to wherever you got to go. And then what happens? You step on it. And when you step on it, there is, except for those house shoe ladies and men in here, I understand it doesn't do nothing for you. But for these barefooted folk like me that are flat-footed, you feel all of it. The second thing, the most worst feeling is a Lego. The Lego was built not for building up and making kids' imaginations flourish. It was built to see if you have cuss words inside of you. It was built to see if you will let that word go. Because it has those little nuggets on top, the little little circles, just to make sure, just in case the sharp edges didn't get to you, the little circles will. And usually when you step on it, you do a couple things, and I'm not finna put nobody in no boxes. I know we have holy people in here. We're all Living Word Fellowship Church members. I hope if you're not, you're still in it. You step on it, it's the first thing you do. You jump, right? I hope. I got you. I don't know what noise you make. I don't know what sound come out your mouth. I don't even know if it starts with F or S or A or B or whatever it may be. I'm going to let you fill in those blanks. But as soon as you do, you have a couple options, ladies and gentlemen. Usually, you will start to cast the blame. DeAndre, if you don't get your stanky, musty behind back in here and pick up these Legos. And it's usually the snotty-nosed kid, too, that always run back in. How does a kid always have snot, like, right here on the edge? Man, get you a baby wipe. You're 10. (laughs) But my wife didn't have none of that, y'all. She got pretty feet. So she made a whole bucket for all their Legos. They can't even bring Legos out of the playroom. They can't even play outside the playroom with Legos. Because it only took one time for my wife to step on a Lego. And my wife is so organized, she made compartments. She has color coding. You better put it right back in the same spot. I mean, you can't even make it. My kid even wants to show us what he made. You better get your behind, I'll walk to you. <laughs> because when something starts to damage us, we start to put it in its rightful place. When something makes you slip out of your context and out of your mind and maybe even say some things you don't like, most of us, if you have a natural response, will say this belongs in the right compartment. The problem with Christianity is that even though many of us have had the wrong speculations, lofty thoughts, and all these things we're going to talk about today, is that we keep letting Legos lay all over the ground. We don't say, man, let me take this thought and put it in its rightful place. Let me take this thought and put it in the box where it belongs. Let me put it in the playroom because it don't belong in my train of thought. If you need me to make it clear for you, it's like the new argumentation for people that get drunk and high. They'll say, well, God created it, therefore I smoke it. 
If he didn't want me to have it, he wouldn't have put it here on earth. <laughs> Take your logic, chunk it into the box. It don't belong in real life. It doesn't even make sense. God never told you to go roll it up. He wasn't like, 3 Corinthians, now slowly lick the tape paper. <laughs> Suck it in, inhale, hold, and... <laughs> Take that dumb thought and put it in the box. But many of us don't mind stepping all over the bad thoughts and we keep playing outside of the playroom with these illogical argumentations. So today, don't, let, don't get mad at me. Just know that these people were playing with the gospel message and with the scripture itself, manipulating it to turn people against the gospel and Paul. These weren't new things. It was happening since 1 Corinthians that people were coming against Paul because they felt that he was preaching a truth they didn't want to live by. Ooh, uh-oh. Isn't it funny that we'll always throw Legos on the ground when we don't want to live by the truth that makes it hard to live? How many of us have made excuses for the truth because it makes you uncomfortable, not because it ain't the truth? And since we live in a society that everything is relative, now we create our own truth for what we want because we want to make sure we feel good. And God's like, man, get those Legos back in the box. Today you're going to hear about these argumentations and you're going to get biblical definitions. I want you to have it clear. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 5, and I just want you to lay it out. We're going to take it apart word for word. So don't say we didn't get deep today. And pastor says, I don't have to finish, so therefore, God bless. But hang on. First word right here, it says we are, last week we talked about what? The fortresses. So bear with me. We have to go back to last week. If you weren't here, catch up. Go back to YouTube. So if you go to fortresses, you say now he's saying we're destroying it. How are we destroying it? We got to take our mind first. The first thing he says is that we're going to destroy the, the fortress. But the word you have to ask yourself is what does the word destroy mean in the first place? The word destroy means I'm going to tear it down. So anything in your mind that needs to be torn down needs to be torn down. Anything that goes against the gospel needs to be torn all the way down. And the first one that he says for many of us, this may sting, it says we're destroying any speculation. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, this word speculation ain't fun for nobody. But if I, you allow me for a second just to define it, and I know that many people do not like when people look at their notes, but I want to give you every single connotation for the word speculation because many of us abide by it. We make up stories in our heads about things that never happened all because of speculation. We'll be mad at somebody and the pastor and the church on things we don't even know. But we'll make it up. I bet $20. I bet $50. This is why pastor asked him to go to Africa. He has a woman in Africa. Every time he come home, he has a new dashiki. I bet she gave it to him. I got to say that's a joke for pastor gets up here and defends him. I don't have a woman in Africa. It's just my wife. It's a joke, pastor. It's not real. But speculation isn't just making up a story. Speculation is when you decide to have your own reason and calculation for what you're fixing to do. That means you are going to make up a reasoning. 
Oh, shucks. How many of us have made up a reason why we're going to do what we want to do? We also would say in the word, it's called justification, that many of us would justify our act. The reason why I got this attitude is because I have a reason for it. Don't you hate when people apologize with a reason? I wouldn't have hit you in your face if your face wasn't ugly. What? That doesn't make any sense. I can't change my face. And I'm joking, I know, you know that's not a serious, but how many of us have ever heard an argument with our apology with a reason? How many of us have ever made up something, a calculation of why we can do what we do? These false prophets, what they were doing is saying what? Let me speculate about Paul. I don't have to have proof. Hear me out. I don't have to have proof at all. I can just speculate and make it up. That's what many of us have been guilty of is we just make it up. It's not based on facts, even though that's the number one slang word today. Facts. Then, you, then we add one more thing just to make sure you know it's facts. We say what? Big facts. <laughs> but what I hate about when people say big facts is that there's no facts in it. It's just the fact that somebody told a story really passionately. And then I drove down the store, pulled the gun, treat, treat. No, you didn't do anything. You're not even a thug. You don't even know what you just said. But it's just big facts. Because you know why we can make up our own reason, own calculation. But let me give you something else. A, repu- a speculation is also has evil intent behind it. Mm. It has false argumentation behind it. That you have no intent of having a real argumentation. You have no intent of having real reasoning. You just go by your own feeling and your own reasoning based on how you feel, and it has evil intent every time. Some of us even know how to pick a fight. Am I lying? That some of us know what fight to pick because you never came to the argumentation with good intent. You was planning on picking something. You said, wait till she come downstairs. You knew. You knew you threw the Legos out on the floor and was like, she going to step on all these jokers. Because you never had good intent for saying what you were going to say in the first place. You just wanted to create a speculative argument. Because guess what happens in a speculative argument? There's no facts. Therefore, we can go wherever you want. How many of you have ever been stuck in a circular argument? In a circular argument, we're just going in circles. Because there's no facts when you, facts makes you go straight. You know what premarital and marital counseling got to do when I'm like, hey, focus on the facts. Wait, stop, slow down, focus on the facts. No, wait, slow, slow, because now we're doing this for 30 minutes. Going in circles about no facts. But because I want you to feel the anger I feel, I have evil intent. I'm going to make you feel every ounce of how mad I am at you. Have no intent of edifying you. No intent of having any facts for what I'm fixing to do. And no offense, the church is guilty because we love gossip, we love slander, and we love some speculation. But nobody wants to hear that. Not only is it false argumentation, then he tells you a little bit further. Not only are we destroying speculation, then he says we're destroying any lofty thing. Lofty. Lofty means, just in general sense, prideful and raised up. Therefore, when you have some issues in your life, make sure the first thing it's not coming from is pride. Why is he destroying pride? Because guess what they were going to do? Paul, if you ain't, I have to tear you down to raise myself up. So, Paul, you ain't no real apostle. I am. 
Paul, you ain't, you, you, don't, you don't even know the truth. You don't even know. You're preaching this old resurrection thing. This was a Gnostic argument that Jesus never resurrected himself. All this, like, we believe in God, but we're not sure we believe in Jesus. So therefore, they had to bring Paul's whole gospel down in order to raise theirs up. So Paul is saying, look, man, not only am I destroying any speculation, I'm fixing to tear down any pride in your argumentation. But I don't have to do it myself because I don't have to have pride. Guess what I have in? I have confidence in God. The the problem is pride always means pride. How many times have you been in an argument where you're like, I'm not going to lose this joint? I'm not going to lose. No, 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 no. We're going we to find a way. I'm going I'm to match your energy, as y'all say, and I say, and some of us say. Let me do it like this. Trash. How many ladies? I'm going to talk to the ladies in here. How many ladies in here hate when your husband passed by a full trash can? Mm. Can I get an amen? Because how in the world? <laughs> Could you, this is what I love when ladies say it. Now, I ain't going to lie. This ain't my culprit. Like, I ain't that dude. I put my stuff in the hamper. I wash my own clothes, and I take out the trash. You don't have to wait. But that's just because I was, you know, mom and dad fussed for a while. I got it down. But the bottom line is, what's the argument I always hear? How in the world? Could you walk by the trash can, trash can 10 times? And this is what they hate. And then you have the nerve to stuff it even further down. But then I have a counter argument, ladies. I see your act. I like your act of getting back. I've seen people take out the trash, uh, at least fold it up so he can't put nothing in there. And then they just put it by the door. Don't make no sense. The trash can was 17 feet to just one, two, three, four, five. You could have made it to the big trash can. You're like, nah, he going to feel it today. And then the second thing I don't like is how many of us get it to the big trash can, but then they'll take it out to the corner so the trash can go out. Because we just let it what? Build up. But the whole point of having trash is to take it out to the trash can so it can go to the dump. How in the world do we not take those same lofty thoughts to the dump? We let them jokers stack up all day, don't we? We let it stack on top of stack and stack on top of stack. And that's what Paul's talking about. What is he saying? They have made arguments in fortresses. They are stacking their trash up. Just watch me destroy it. You know what destroys pride? Humility. You know what they were saying about Paul? He was a coward. So what would Paul do if he wanted to win the argument? If I was Paul, what, I would call down fire from heaven. But Paul was like, I'm not going to fight fire with fire. I'm going to fight your fire with facts. I don't have to go toe for toe for you. I don't have to match your lofty expectations. I don't even have to match, match your lofty thoughts. I don't got to do none of that because that's all for you raising yourself up. But the last time I checked, pride goes down quickly. Some of us are wondering why our life is falling apart. It might be because you built it yourself. You know, it's hard to hold up something you built, but it's hard to tear down something God does. So, so stop building your own argument. Stop building. Watch these words. It says lofty what? Thing raised up. So what's your thing? What do you hold dear? What argument and thought do you hold dear that you, you know what other what lofty means? It means exaggerated. 
Lofty not only means that you, but watch, the, watch it, here it goes. Lofty comes, watch these words, naturally in defiance of the authentic knowledge of God. So therefore, if you think you got the thought, then guess what? God's knowledge can't get into you. That's why you come to church every Sunday and leave the exact same way because you was lofty in your own mind. You like, man, that wasn't my favorite sermon. You out the door. And God's like, man, if I can't get to your, if I can't build your godly knowledge, of course you go on yours. Some of us go to our same marriage the same way. And God's like, man, that's because your pride, you raise it up against me. If you take my knowledge that the Bible says for you to treat your wife, you go home different. How many times, let's, ladies and gentlemen, let's be honest. How many times in this sermon or these series or any sermon do I repeat something about marriage? A lot. And singleness. Sneaky links. That was last week. I heard pastor had to ask a friend what that was. We need to get him a lifeline. So I'm going to ask the second question. If I've said it a thousand times, how come some of us still go home the same way? You know, if you would ask yourself a hard question, shouldn't we be moving on to ecclesiology or deep theological thought by now? But you know why people still want milk? Because they're still babies. Because their knowledge fights against what God is saying for them to know by now. You're supposed to know more by now. Some of y'all are supposed to be digging into your concordances and Bible dictionaries by now. Some of your marriages are supposed to be floating on cloud nine, but not because you made it there on vacation. It's because God is supposed to be pouring in his biblical knowledge into your marriage, into your singleness, into your sex lives. He's supposed to be building it in because the knowledge we're fixing to talk about does something different to you. Watch what happens. He says, and anything that's exaggerated, any idea or argument capable of preventing people at arriving at the true and emancipating knowledge of God, anything that stops you from coming to the true knowledge of God, but also the word emancipation knowledge of God, that means the truth will set you. So you saying, God, I feel boxed in, and God's looking at you saying, you should be free by now. Because my knowledge sets you free. You know, the same thing that we argue against God is the same thing that will set you free. Prove it to you. I know many of us, I'm not saying you have to live perfect. I know many of us probably experienced sex before marriage. I'm not mad at you. This is not a judgmental sermon. But how many of you have ever experienced sex inside of marriage? It's free. Because the knowledge that it's true goes where it's supposed to go. And now you get to do whatever you want. Therefore, when you get up out the bed, there's no guilt because you're free because you did it the right way. So the knowledge of God makes you feel what? Free. So now you're walking out the bed like, man, good job, bro. <laughs> I should have left that part out, man. <laughs> All right, moving on. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. <laughs> Man, um, <laughs> we are destroying speculation. Every lofty thing raised up against, watch these words, the what? Knowledge. So therefore, I'm taking the trash out because I want true things to come in. It is knowledge that you're after. 
but not knowledge that puffs up. Watch the definition of the word. I told you I'll take every word apart today. Watch the definition. If it's lofty, you can't get knowledge. If it's something that is prideful, that means it's dependence on yourself. That is the problem with the word lofty. That means you come up with your own argument. And that's where it boils down to how many of us have came up with our own argument that is outside of the knowledge of God, meaning you know how you're supposed to treat your wife and husband, meaning you know how you're supposed to treat your sex life, meaning you know these things, but you come up with your own argument, meaning he looks good to me. This fruit looks good to me. I want to see like God, just like Adam and Eve. They came up with their own lofty dependence on self that ripped away the knowledge of God. How many of you have your own arguments? And how many of you have made them and lived by them? That's the weird part of it all. It's just like Adam, right? What did he say? This woman that you what? You gave me. That's his new argument. Because now he's playing the victim. And we have so many victim players, don't we? Because they create their own arguments. It's all about themselves. Hmm. But then let's define knowledge because what is it blocking? Are you ready? Knowledge. Knowledge. The first thing you have to understand, it is a noun that is obedient. But watch these words. It knows the will of God. Knowledge is not just your own personal dependent on self. Knowledge is saying, God, I submit to the will of God itself. It, we'll talk about this obedience word towards the end. That this knowledge word is implicit on your desire for obedience. Hear me out. Knowledge is not just information. Because if all knowledge was was information, then we have a lo- then Satan is knowledgeable. Correct? What makes Satan just have intelligence or even the know of the word of God, but not knowledge? Because once you understand the will of God, it is complicit with the word obedience. That's why he's going to tie them in together when we get to the end of the verse. Because he's saying, if you know, you do. So if some of us know, how come we don't do? And I'm going to use something else that some of us don't like. If some of us know, how can we half do? See, here's the thing about Christianity. Some of us think we can get away with halfway obedience. We won't do this, but we'll do this. That's where our secondary arguments come from. I ain't going to do that, God, but you never said we can't do this. You know what I told somebody? Like, hey, Peter, how far is too far? This ain't for my married people. It's for my single folk. I said, you know what? That's a great question. I want you to imagine God is in the room with you. Now go. (laughs) It changes the argument, doesn't it? Well, I'll be high-fiving Monica for the rest of our lives. Like, mm. Holy Spirit hugs from this point forward. Because if you know he's present, you wouldn't do the same sin. But some of us, we ignore the presence so we can have our own knowledge of what we really want. We do half truth, half argumentation. If I wasn't so stressed out, I wouldn't smoke. If I wasn't so stressed out, I wouldn't drink. If God would give me the job I want, I would do this. God says he needs it. But he says, and he said, if I had more money, I would be here. And God's like looking at you like I said, be faithful with a little. So why would I give you a lot? But you like the half-truth, like, God ain't blessing me. And I'm like, but you're not even faithful with the little bit you got. How you buying a Gucci belt and got no house? 
Talking about this apartment life, good for me. No, it's not. <laughs> you just paid your rent on something many African Americans won't even use to hold up their pants. <laughs> oh, my fault. Was that too far? Have your style. Show people that it's Gucci. I get it. That went too far. I saw her face. She was like, uh oh. I love sagging pants. It's great. <laughs> knowledge. But knowledge is also acquaint with the image of God. Because if you know him, you will look like him. How do you know a guy but don't look like the God you know? You like this knowledge word? They came into full knowledge. You know what the word knowledge also means? Not only is it the image, it's the intimacy. Because the more you're intimate with God is the more you look like the God you're intimate with. How do we know that? Talk to some of these old couples in here that have been married 50 years. Have you ever played a board game with old school couples? I hate it. It's cheating. Because they be giving each other backstories to like taboo. She look at him and go, green. And he like, necklace. You're like, how'd you get Necklace. And then you, you ask them later, what do they say? Well, he loves my green necklace that I love to wear. Oh, God bless. Because the what? The longer they're married is the more they know, the more they know, the more they're one. The longer you live with God, the more intimate you are, is the more you start to identify with God. Therefore, the more you know, the more you do. Therefore, the more you do is the more you look like the image of God. That's why it's weird when couples don't come to church together and they don't grow together and wonder why their marriage looks nothing like the image of God. That's on you. So how are you supposed to be knowledgeable of God but don't live like God and want a marriage like God and then you want the blessings of God? And God's like, but you don't even want to have full knowledge of who I am. And then you have your singleness that's not in the knowledge of God, even though you know what God says. He says, hey, be concerned only about my things when you're single. You got more time. You got less distractions. Do me. But we're like, no, I'm going to do me right after this. Mimosas right after church. And then God's like, wait a second. You should be serving the body of Christ because you have less things on your plate. But, I mean, that's not knowledge, right? That's just Pierre's opinion that somehow is found in the Bible, that somehow we already preached about, that somehow you already know, that somehow you just choose not to obey. Knowledge. I want to get you just to understand how bad these people were because Paul is fighting for the true knowledge of God and they were making up their own truth based on what they wanted, right? And they were raising up their own prideful argumentation that they were trying their best to make sure but knowledge is a distinctive mark of Christianity. It renounces anything that, do, that God doesn't want. So Paul is saying, if you had true knowledge, wouldn't you renounce what they're arguing? So now he's questioning who? The church of Corinth. Because if you had the full knowledge of God, why in the world would you believe them? No offense, my ladies and gentlemen, especially for my younger crowd. I know this older crowd, this ain't going to go nowhere. Stop listening to every preacher that just gets popular because they had one cool illustration. We follow so many pastors. And here's the thing. That can sound cultish. You're like, well, Pierre, you want us to believe you? No, go study the Bible yourself. It ain't about me. But you know what we let? We let people give us a whole bunch of knowledge. That ain't even factual. We have people giving us relational advice that have three divorces under their belt. Talking about, let me tell you. No, don't tell me, Jack. Go fix yourself.
I've seen people bring me Instagram people. And then want me to defend, watch these words, then want me to defend the Bible against Instagram. Just because he got 3,000 likes because he said this and this and this doesn't make it right. So I got to now waste 30 minutes of a theological argument to be like, mm, that sounds pretty good. But what about this though? No. Come on, fam. Instagram pastors, is that what we're doing today? Because I put on the same jean jacket. You know what? I got a jean jacket at the house. I'm going to do sneakers and preachers. I'm going to buy me a $600 pair of shoes with a jean jacket and holy jeans, and I'm going to come up here and call a whole bunch of illustrations. And they were like, he preached today, fam. He went for it. You see the water he had on stage? You see how he threw it on that kid? <laughs> Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, too. I just out there. <laughs> Let me give you something about knowledge that I'm not saying. Knowledge is not, the, not without the understanding of history itself. It's not without the understanding of the world you live in. It's not without understanding the culture you live in. It is not. Paul knew. And watch these words. Paul also would use what? Philo- philosophy in order to argue. So he's not like he's saying like, hey, man, just quote scripture all day. He knew it. He knew history. It's kind of like when African-Americans, we have to know our history so we have to fight against. I'm not saying just because you know God doesn't mean you erase history. Know your history, but through the lens of God. Oh, this one's important to me, and I ain't going to lie to you, especially as we struggle with our African-American history. Know it. Stop letting people use this really calcified argument that, hey, the gospel is all that matters. It does through the lens of God. Yes, it does. But we also have to keep it in the lens, but it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And people have to be okay with not hiding behind every false argument because they're scared to talk about history. They're scared to talk about the truth. They're scared to recognize it happened. That happened, ladies and gentlemen. But how do I bring it through the lens of knowledge of God? That is the question of the day. But you know what happens with Christianity? We get so bitter about our history, we don't bring it through the lens of Christ. So we just stay in history. How do I prove that? Just talk about your exes for five seconds, see how mad you get because you haven't brought that ex into the lens of Christ. What did he want to do with that ex in your life? Why was that person even present? What can you learn through Christ? How does the gospel live its way out? How have you been forgiven for your past mistakes? You are not who you were yesterday. That is all in the lens of Christ. But if we all we look at is our history, we won't learn from our mistakes, nor will we learn from history mistakes. History Knowledge does not mean it's only just one thing. This knowledge is beautiful so you can contextualize everything. The problem is that we create our own context for our own arguments. And Paul is like, yo, I'm not sitting here saying don't know it. I'm just saying don't forget to filter it. You know what's crazy about coffee? Y'all don't need this illustration. I'll be quick. If you know anything about coffee, that's my thing, y'all. Like, I can't do nothing in the kitchen but make coffee. But if you know anything about coffee, the reason why a French press will mess up your stomach because you let it sit in the beans. You know what's on top of those beans? Chemicals. Just hear me out. The reason why you use a filter because what's in the, on top of the bean itself is usually chemical-based because they have to clean the beans to get bugs off of it. So what do they do? They have to lace it with chemicals. The reason why you run it through a filter so the hot water can go through and get all the chemicals off, it runs through a filtration process, so all you get is what? Coffee. But if you don't have a filter, no wonder your stomach is upset because all you are taking in is chemical-based coffee. 
And for some of us, what you don't realize, the reason why you have a toxic Christianity is because you don't filter out the untruth from the truth. To let the hot water go on top of the beans and let you get pure coffee on the back end. The reason why some of us get upset when pastor preaches for 65 minutes to 89 minutes, the reason why some of us get upset... is because we don't like to hear the truth over and over again. We don't need the filter no more. We make up our own filters and wonder why we have toxic Christianity. And let me prove it to you that you don't believe me. Look at our world today in politics and tell me we don't have toxic Christianity. Because nobody's willing to filtrate Fox News and CNN News for the filter of Christ. We just like, man, look, it sounds good to me. And I'm like, that's not how you gauge Truth. It's not if you feel good about it. No offense, I love y'all to death. But you know what your feelings are? Flesh. That's why some of us got in relationships, because it felt good. Now tell me how that worked out. But if you filter your feelings through the knowledge of God, then God gets to help you make the decision for your relationships and your singleness. That means what comes out is pure coffee. So that means I have a pure relationship because I let God filtrate through all the toxins. So if this man wasn't good for me, God, I need you to filtrate. But you know what also takes time about coffee? Time. Because you know what I do when I make my coffee? I pour a little bit, I block it, and I watch it. Then I open the valve and I let it come out. I pour it. It takes me seven minutes to make coffee. My cup alone. But you know what we like? We like that Keurig nasty, dirty water coffee. Why? Because it's instant. And you know what we want to hear when we come to church? Pierre, close that joint down. Bam! Give me that instant, nasty, dirty water. You ain't even getting the strength of coffee. Now, hear me out. If you do coffee the right way, it's going to spike you and level you out, meaning you can last like five hours on one cup because it's pure. But if you get instant dirty water coffee, that's why you get this immense spike. And guess what happens after you're done? You get this humongous low. And guess what happens to churches today? We're going to give you this sugary spike with a whole bunch of creamer. Oh, you're going to get milky today. Look, God going to bless you. God going to bless you. Hey, God going to bless you. Hey, God going to bless you. 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 Oh, God going to bless you. God going to bless you. God going to bless you. God gonna bless you. And then we like, oh, he preached today. He said bless 89 times. I'm trying to tell you, y'all think I'm playing. I've heard so many worship songs that don't have Jesus in it. Tell you how you're going to be blessed when you leave, blessed when you come, blessed when you go. We have so many people that are over there telling you what you're supposed to believe. And I'm telling you right now, you should want the most purified coffee. And this comes from my own conviction, y'all. I ain't lying to you. Because sometimes I'll hit that 45 mark and I'm like, Pierre, you went too long, man. Everybody's going to leave the church. And I keep apologizing to y'all. Now, it's not saying I'm going to do Pastor Canning's right now. I'm still going to be conscious of that humongous clock in the back. 
But what it's saying, I should never apologize if I'm giving you knowledge. Now that jacket illustration took all the breath out of me. Now let's move on. Man, that was like P90X. The last couple of things I want you to get. It says what? We are destroying every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Watch these words. We are taking every, watch these words, thought captive. How many of y'all have some thoughts right now? Like Pierre tripping. That's first thought. You're probably right about that one, okay? I'm going to let that go. I'll forgive myself later. But he says captive. You know what captive means? It means a prisoner of war. Here it is. He's saying anything that is against the knowledge of God, I need you to trap it. Take it as a prisoner of war. But you know what's one thing about crazy about a prisoner of war? You don't release them. They become your use because a prisoner of war back in that day, historical context, would let you know they became what? Usually slaves or servants or stayed in the land doing what they told them to do. So guess what I'm telling you? You take every thought that goes up against the knowledge of God, you pull it back into captivity and say, now you're going to work for me. So your, fa- your past anxiety, your past fears, your past depression, you're saying, hey, I got to take that back. And now you're going to work for me. So even though I feel anxious right now, even though I feel fearful right now, even though I want to go back into that same line of thought, no, sir, you are my captive. But you know what we do? We let thoughts run rampant. We let it just circulate our brain, stand up at night, circulating the whole thing. We can't sleep because the same thought keeps permeating your mind. And God's like, take that thought captive and go to sleep. Go to sleep. It is a prisoner of war. But the one thing I cannot take away from that word war is that that's what you're in. You are in war. He's saying, man, well, they got fortresses set up. These people have fortresses against me that we at war, fam. But you know what I'm going to do? We, Corinthians, you know what y'all should be doing? Take every thought captive that don't add up to the gospel, not me, the gospel. You know what I've kind of come comfortable with? Some of y'all might leave the church saying, hey, you know what? Boom, 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 Pierre this, Pierre that, church this, church that. I'm cool. I become content if we grow slow. If we just go the way God wants it to go, God is growing me in that. But what I will not stop is saying, look, anything that you use as a thought has to be cycled through the word of God. That means it has to be captive. So if you're going to make a thought happen, if something's going to happen in your life, make sure you took it captive first. Because if it doesn't line up with the word of God, it should be in its prison. Any man, any woman, any past mother, any past father that told you you were worthless, no good, this, that, and the other, that is a captive thought, meaning you know it exists. The prisoner of war, you got to know it's there. But what do you start saying to yourself, God, that's a lie. That is a lie. It has to be a lie from Satan. I want to prove it to you that there's some satanic stuff at play, that he knows the one way to get you is to get your thought. Okay, you don't believe me, let's move. The word thought is the mind of an intellectual process. So we've used speculation, false argumentation, lofty things, which means raised up intentions and bad intentions for it. And then we came down to this word thought. And he's saying, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it so vague you got no way out of it. The word thought just means your intellectual process. You know what many people do? We let our intellectual thoughts become God. You know the last time I checked, it takes faith to believe in God? 
I'm not saying we shouldn't do our research. I'm not saying we shouldn't know our Bible. I'm not saying you should know how the canons put together. I'm not saying you should know who wrote each, each book. I'm not saying you shouldn't know how the Council of Nicaea happened. I'm not saying you should know all these big words to make sense of your faith. We got to stop preaching to people to be ignorant in their faith. Just because you have faith doesn't mean you're ignorant. It just means you have faith in what you can know. But you know, at the end of the day, I'm exasperating myself and trying to prove to you this one fact. You will never know the whole mind of God. So some of the things you do take faith. But you know what we keep doing? We keep banking on our intellectual process to make sense of what never makes sense. Therefore, you keep saying, God, this don't make sense. Therefore, I won't be obedient. And God's like, just because it don't make sense to you doesn't mean it don't make sense to me. Because I can see 100 years from now. I can see how the next generation of your kids is going to be better because you chose to do your single life right. I can, choose, I can see how this marriage, if you choose, we can change generations of generations. I can see that your little money, I'm going to make a lot. It may not be with you. It will be with these kids. I can see it. So even if it don't make sense to you, it makes sense to me. So yes, I'm asking you to have faith, but not have faith in your logic. Some of us put our logic over our faith. We make decisions only if it makes sense to us. You know who's guilty of that? Me. If I'm totally transparent, my dad is that vision-based leader. He is. You know what I am? I'm a very logical man. It has to make sense. But I look at all these buildings, and you know what I see? Vision and faith. Because if it was up to me, somebody with logic like me, some of these things wouldn't be here. It's Because some decision at the end of the day takes faith. You know how hard it is not to give in to sexual temptation because you believe that God has somebody better for you? That's faith, not logic. You know how hard it is to go be obedient, to be a husband and a father when you get home even though you're tired and not obey your feelings? That's faith, that God, you're going to work this thing out for my good, that you're going to love me in my good. That's called faith. So if all you base every decision on is logic, I bet how many of y'all have a checklist of what your future man and future woman should be? That's logic. It's not faith. But he's not saying you shouldn't have thoughts. He's not saying you shouldn't be able to talk about thoughts. But in verse 211 of the same chapter, he says, Satan assault is in your minds with the thoughts. So if he can get your thoughts, he can get your actions. If I can get you to think that it is bad, then I can get your actions right behind it. Prove it. Go to Eve. What did he change? Her mind. He just changed her mind. He didn't change the fruit. Did he make the fruit more beautiful? Did he shine it up? Did he spit shine that fruit? Nothing. He just slowly worked his way down the tree, started talking as a snake. Fam, that's your first mistake. That's why I'm not sure if she was black. Because let, let a snake start talking to you, fam. You'd be like, nah, fam, that's a bad dream. You'd be like, God, wake me up. Well, she was like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, fam, no, no, no. I'm joking. I love everyone the same. The scary movies have depicted what we run to and run away from. Moving on. Is all he had to do was what? Change her mind. That's all I had to do. I'm going to make you think it's okay. And how many of us have said, you know what? That's okay. 
How many of you have justified, made it right in your mind, thought about it enough? Let me ask you this hard question and I'll move on. How many of us don't make moves until we thought about it 18 times in 18 different ways? How many of us try to think in the future? Is that you? That's me. I figure I can calculate the next move. And if I can calculate it enough, that means I can predetermine what's going to happen next. I'm good at it. If I'm honest and transparent, if I see somebody and I have studied your, how you move, how you, I'm good at saying, all right, if I say this, they're going to do this and I'll come back with that. Oh yeah, I know what they're going to say here. Boom, I already planned this out. And sometimes I'll let you talk yourself into a trap I already set because I'm five steps ahead of you because I think because if I'm five steps ahead of you, guess what? I've logically thought my way how to win. Some of y'all do that all day. You won't make decisions until you thought 80 times about it because you try to figure in every mistake that can happen and you try to minimize your mistake, therefore limiting your faith. Faith is what makes you make decisions that sometimes don't make sense because it lines up with the word of God. Some of us haven't even made our visions happen yet because you're too scared because it hasn't made sense yet. And I'm not talking about you, your business plans and all that stuff. Go for it. I'm talking about making moves in your relationships, getting out of the dating phase because you truly believe God can restore marriages. Some of us haven't fixed things because we're scared of what can happen. We have too much logic in our church. But I'm not saying you shouldn't be knowledgeable. 1 Corinthians 4, 1, 2 Corinthians 2, 7, 12, 6 says that we should know the facts of who God is. You know when you discover the fact of who God is? It eliminates speculation of who he isn't because you can bank on who he is. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with screaming and singing and crying and saying, God, you've been faithful and that's enough for me? Like, I don't even know Monday. I can't figure out Tuesday. I don't even know why you did this in my life. I still can't figure this out. And this is the worst. I've done so many things and and God's like, but I'm faithful. That's just a fact of who he is. And if you know who he is, you're going to be okay if you can't figure out yourself. Mm. But let me at least summarize this last thought. To the obedience. You hear the last one was what? To the knowledge of Christ? Watch this word. Then he switches it. I take, watch these words, we'll finish here. Verse 6. And we are ready to punish all disobedience. We're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Anything that stops you from being obedient to Christ, take it captive. If you want anything to summarize this sermon, anything that stops you from going forward in your obedience, take captive. Destroy it. You know we give too much credence to? Things that tell you to be disobedient. You know what obedience means? I just want to give you the definition quickly. It's a state of compliance. Like, God, it's not the fact that you agree with everything. It's the fact that you're compliant towards his will. That's it. That's the difference. It's not that I'm saying, you know, when your mama told you to do something, it's not like you agreed every time. It's the fact that you recognize who he was or who she was, and you were compliant because you knew who you were. That's obedience. Obedience saying, God, I know who you are, and every thought that tells me you're not, I'm taking that captive so I can do your will because that is what? faith. But if you only rely on your logic, guess what you're going to do? You're going to make decisions on your obedience only if it lines up with your logic. You're basically telling God, my logic is God. 
if it don't make sense to this God, I ain't doing it. And God's like, when was the last time you, you gave me counsel? Oh, you know the scripture? When's the last time you can give me advice? My thing, my ways are not your ways. The way I move is not the way you move. Why did you start thinking me and you was going to move the same way? Because the last time I checked, you on earth and I'm in heaven. The last time I checked, the angels sing my praise and they, they don't for you. The last time I checked, I created you out of grace. The last time I checked, I know all things. I'm omniscient, omnipotent, I can keep moving. I don't need anything to survive. I'm not dependent. So the last time I checked, why would you give me advice? I need you to be obedient, be compliant. How many of y'all are delayed obe- obedience people because you were waiting on it for it to make sense? How many of you are waiting for God? To, guess what we keep telling God? Here's my fleece, God. Make it wet. You don't know the story. You know the story, right? God, I'm going to lay out another fleece. Please, come on, man. Wet this joker up. And God's like, all right, here's some grace. I'll wet it up for you. And God, whoa, 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 whoa. Now I need you to wet it around keep the thing dry. God's like, okay, got it. I understand you're a weaker vessel. Cool. Now, did that miracle. What's next? Like, all right, look, man. I need you to fill up 16 cups of water and light these five candles. That's called witchcraft. I'm not doing none of that. And we keep saying, God, I need a sign. God's like, I've given you 66 books of signs. 66 books of signs, and you want another one? That me asking you to do the right thing, you need a sign for that? You know what's crazy about asking God for a sign? That shows you your lack of faith. And I'm not saying you're wrong because God understands it. That's why he did the fleece. I'm just saying the ask sometimes for a sign, that means you're waiting on reasons to be obedient. Be obedient. I hate to say it because he asked you to be. Hmm. Obedience. And then you punish, but I also want to say this, this word, the word disobedience, one of my favorite things. Not really. You know, the word disobedient means you listen, but don't do. It's not just like the fact that I choose not to do. It's the fact that you know what to do and still don't do it. Here's the thing about living where you don't come and get this word every time. That's why it's long, girl. Because you're going to get it all. How many words have I defined for you? Every key word in the text. You can't even say you go home without the definition. So that's what Paul was saying. I have defined everything for you. You know Jesus rose from the dead. Why would you let the Gnostics make you disobedient? How in the word would you listen, in the world would you listen to false prophets when you know the truth? And that's the same thing I ask many of us. Is how many of us have let false prophets speak into our lives? And no offense, I'm going to say this backwards. How many of us have been false prophets to ourselves? We only believe what makes us feel good. We only believe what makes sense to us. We have made ourselves into false prophets. We give advice based on feelings. Some of us have even given advice to friends based on how sad or happy they are. We won't tell them the truth. That one stings. I ain't got time for that. Hmm. He says this, I want to read it, and I'll close. We are destroying speculations. And he says, verse 6, and we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. You know one way to get disobedience out of your life? Be faithfully obedient, and when it's complete, disobedience is gone. 
Just be complete. You know, complete, it's just bringing to completion. There's no, de- there's no deep definition for that. When you do the right thing and you do it all the way, disobedience will remove itself. So I need to ask them, y'all, I'm begging of y'all, do obedience all the way and then let God move from there. Don't do the halfway. Don't do what makes sense to you. Don't do the speculation. Don't do the lofty things. Don't raise up yourself against God. Do what he asked you to do to its completion and then watch God work. Paul is saying, hey, Church of Corinth, I just need you to obey. Because when you obey, you're going to feel like these people are liars anyways. Do it to completion. My wife is good, man. Because I told you about the Legos. I told you I'd bring it back. Uh, Legos are tricky. But my wife didn't just put it in a compartment. You know what she did next? She made a table. And the table has these little green pallets that have Legos all over it. And she glued the pallets down. So she made the compartments and then she glued the pallets all the way down. And when she glued the pallets down, she said, I need you to stay in the playroom with your Legos. There's no reason for them to come out because we just made you a five by five table. So you can play and build all day long. I love it because my kids would take all those blocks and they were building up castles. And they had a whole imaginary world like, I don't know, stuff that they, they would explain to me that didn't make sense. And I was like, wow, that's a bed that's crazy. And they were excited because now it's not that my mom and daddy didn't want me to build, it's just build it in its proper place. I'm not asking you to be dumb. I'm not asking you not to think. I'm not asking you to know your philosophy and your history. I've made that clear. What I'm asking you is to put it in its proper place. Put it in the playroom on top of the table. But you know what takes? Don't bring those thoughts into the rest of the house. Because some of us are raising our kids with those thoughts. Some of us are raising our, uh, treating our husband with those thoughts. Some of us are treating our, our coworkers with those thoughts. And like God says, keep those thoughts in the playroom especially if they don't line up with the rest of the house. This is your house. Make sure your thoughts, your specula- no, no speculation, your thoughts and your knowledge lines up with the rest of the house. Let us pray.